What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And for episode 135, we're continuing on with our adventure through the Dresden Files by Jim Butcher. We're jumping now into book six, Blood Rites, and... Judging by some of our conversation, Drew, leading up to this episode, I feel like it's going to be an interesting one where you and I may or may not disagree on some things. So let's get right down into it. Get our weekly recap from Drew. Take it away, my man. What happened in book six? All right. So Blood Rites finally bucks the Dresden trend of opening with a damsel in distress. Rather, Harry rescues some temple guardian dogs before being hired by his sort of friend Thomas, the vampire of the white court, to protect a pornographer and his employees from an entropy curse. As Harry gets embroiled in a conspiracy involving Arturo Genosa's ex-wives, he also discovers that Mavra and the Black Court vampires are back in town, bent on killing him. He enlists Murphy's help and hires Kincaid, the Archive's guard, to help him kill them. While Bob is out trying to find the vampires, and going to strip clubs, (laughs) <laughs> Harry meets the cast and crew of Genosa's erotica films, including Thomas's sisters, Lara and Inari. After thwarting the entropy curse twice, Harry ends up battling Black Court vampires with the help of Lara and Thomas. They survive, but Thomas is grievously injured and must feed to survive. They head to Chateau Wraith, where they meet the head of the house. Thomas feeds on Justine, ostensibly killing her, and Harry comes to an understanding of Thomas's pain. Thomas reveals to Harry that they are half-brothers, both sharing the same mother. From there, Harry gets Ebenezer to join his Black Court killing crew, and they head off to take out Mavra's Scourge. Before they can start, however, Ebenezer and Kincaid see each other and nearly start shooting. Harry convinces them to back down and get on with the job. They head into the homeless shelter the vampires are using, and rescue some thralls and innocents before dealing with Mavra and her guards. Harry's hand is burned to uselessness when Mavra's Renfields use flamethrowers, but the crew manages to get out alive, killing all the vampires. Back home, Harry confronts Ebenezer about Kincaid and demands some answers. Ebenezer reveals that he is the Black Staff of the White Council, given free reign to assassinate people and break any of the Council's laws. He also tells Harry that he trained Harry's mother and failed her. His trust in Ebenezer broken, Harry kicks him out before going to deal with the White King. With the help of Murphy, Harry arrives at Chateau Wraith and convinces Lara to side with him. If things look good, that is. Harry and Murphy head off to find Thomas before he can be sacrificed in the entropy ritual, but Wraith captures them in turn. Arturo's ex-wife Madge begins the ritual, but Harry convinces Wraith to go back to the house for Inari to make sure she doesn't feed on emergency services personnel. Harry and Murphy set up a trap for Wraith and fight him nearly to a standstill when he returns. Murphy breaks Madge's ritual circle and frees Thomas, but Wraith breaks Thomas's neck. Lara comes in just in time and betrays her father, allowing Harry and Murphy to escape with the barely alive Thomas. Harry reveals that Justine survived, and Thomas, newly hopeful, heals himself. Lara kicks out Thomas from House Wraith as part of her ploy to take power, and Thomas comes to live with Harry. Kincaid tells Harry that Mavra probably wasn't killed, and Harry, in the end, names his new tenaciously clingy temple puppy, Mouse. <laughs> okay, so let's dive into it. Um, I don't have a lot for style for today, and I think this was this is kind of natural for when you've been discussing a single author for long enough. You kind of just go over all the stylistic points that they tend to, you know, rely upon. Um, 
Every time we do a Dresden book, though, we have to talk about intros. I feel like we have to because he's so good at them. And this intro was my favorite one yet. Are you kidding? The building was on fire and it wasn't my fault. Gold. Just gold. And we, we jump right into it with our hero, Wizard for Hire, running through the burning building. And we have flying purple demons flinging poo at him while he rescues a box full of puppies. Like, how can you go wrong with that intro? I loved it. Did you did you find it the same way? Were you excited for it as soon as I was? Um, I did not have that kind of enthusiasm for the opening. It was a fine okay. opening. Uh, okay. I didn't think it was as good as some of the others. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was decent. Decent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, that's just my my beginning style point here, though. But I'll, I'll let you uh, throw something else at me. For, to juggle here before I get into my second out of three. So my overriding style point and the reason that I really didn't like this book very much, I'm just, I'm so done with the pervy sex stuff in the series. Like, I'm Oh, but so this is the it. one though that you have to give it the excuse for. I mean, this is the one surely no. when they're on a porn set for such a large part of it. No, but that's, that's my point. The fact that he would set the story on a, porno set like i'm i'm just so done with this like oh, it's like I he feel... takes any excuse he can to like throw gorgeous women in lingerie in front of harry at, I, at every turn and i can't I'm like, believe i'm, I'm disagreeing with, with that because if you had told me this last book i would probably would be like yeah but i don't know i feel like this is butcher being a little self-aware and being like all right you know what i'm gonna do this time i'm gonna <laughs> i'm just gonna pull out all the stops maybe maybe even just get it all out of the way so we can have a much cleaner next book i don't know i really doubt that's I the case i really hope so I really doubt that's the case, but for me, it felt like a self-aware move. Like he just like doubled down on it because he had I don't know. Yeah, I, I I'm sure it was self-aware. He's he's doing it's this deliberately, still... but I still hate it. Like uh, okay, the, right. it doesn't change the fact that like I'm just getting bombarded by this constantly <laughs> in the series, and I'm it's not the kind of stuff that entertains me. It's not the kind of stuff I'm looking for in in the books I read, and I have to deal with it book after book after book after. F book and i was just done with it like i i would not have finished reading this book had we not been covering it on the podcast damn and i have to say i am completely the opposite this is the one that i liked uh, out of the six books that we've covered now this is the number one spot for me i love this one and it's not obvious it's obviously not because of the porn aspect but it's just because of how much fun we had during this entire thing. The one-liners were were all over the place. It was funny. It was exciting. There were no slow moments. I like. If you had told me previously that we were going to go to a porn set for this one, I probably would have had the same reaction. But I don't know. I can't figure out why it is that I didn't have that same problem. I just... I, I found it. I was like, okay, at least we have an excuse for it now. It's not just popping up unasked for and unexpected, you know, three or four times in a page. Now it's like... We're here. We have the reason to get all of this out of the way, and I, for me, it was enough context to to give him some slack for that. I I I loved this book. I would say it's more than liked. I loved this book. So we are at a serious disconnect here. I feel like <laughs> we are. Yeah, we definitely are. Yeah, you know, Butcher's never been one to like err on the side of PG, obviously. So. I think it was just kind of refreshing to see him just like pull out all the stops and not have to even pretend to try and be modest, you know, because he sucks at that, I think, you know, but yeah, oh, it, to me, it felt a little more natural because he was, it felt like he was a little more in his element, not to say that Butcher himself is a perv or anything, but it just felt like he didn't have to walk on any eggshells at all. 
and he just got to have a whole lot of fun running around the room and wrecking everything. I, I got to have a lot of fun watching it. Well, and, and it, it extends beyond just, like, the fact that half the book is set on, you know, and you're set in a porn studio, but, like, it's it's all over the place throughout the book as well. Like, it, like how friggin' ridiculous that you're, like, in the middle of a tense vampire hunt. It's like, oh, well, I gotta find an excuse to make sure that Murphy's pants come off. Like, <laughs> you know, like, it, it's just... It's constant. It, it it just never stops in the series, and I'm I'm just finished with it. Like you're over it, eh? Yeah, I'm very over it. Yeah, I was over I, it I, pretty early on, but this book really drove it home for me. I feel like I'm going to be <laughs> saying many of those exact same things probably in the next episode, because then we will be off of the porn set again, but we'll still be all of it will still be there, and then I'll then it'll feel enough out of place for me that I'll be saying the exact same thing. Because I was saying a lot of the exact same thing in the previous books again and again. I was like, I'm just over this. Especially when we were talking about Harry as a character. I was like, I'm just, yeah, I was over it. But I think if it belongs in any one volume, this is the one. And so this will be the episode that I don't bitch about that. Probably the only episode that I don't bitch about that. Okay. Um, I only really had one other big style point, and it was... uh, I found the writing a lot sloppier in this book than it had been in a couple. Um, oh? Dropped words, um, extra words tossed into sentences where they didn't fit. Um, huh. Uh, lines that enough. didn't make sense. Um, like, there was, there was one point uh, when Harry's at, uh, at Chateau Wraith, and he wakes up, you know, in Thomas's room, and... And he, you know, goes to leave and the door's locked, right? The the paragraph is, I opened the door to leave Thomas's chambers, but it was locked. I checked, but it was using at least a pair of key-only padlocks and maybe some kind of emergency bolt as well. There was no way I could open it. That paragraph starts with the words, I opened the door, and ends with the words, there was no way I could open it. Like, oh. it's like he just forgot what he was writing midway through a sentence and then continued on the paragraph. Like, I there didn't were even things like that all over this book that really popped out to me in a way that um, they, like, like this just wasn't um, proofread well enough or, like, definitely jumped out at me a lot. Damn. You know, I probably could have looked at that. See, I'm the kind of reader that I, and the kind of writer. I could have looked at that paragraph for ten years, and I would not have caught that. Yeah, like there was a there was another one. Um, trying to, you'd make an excellent proofreader, man. Excellent editor. I'm trying to remember what the line was, but it was like it was near the end, and of course, I can't I can't remember the exact wording to search for it, but it was like talking about how. Um, like Thomas survived or something or, or Justine survived. It was, it was talking about Justine near the end and, um, and the wording was just completely off. Uh, Speaking of um, how predictable is that, that Justine was alive after all. <laughs> oh yeah, on. I know. Right. How, how easily predictable was that? It was like, they called her like a survived Instead of she survived, it was like she is a survived, something like that. Like, but they didn't turn it into a capitonym because that would have at least made sense no, grammatically. No, no, like, no. Wow. And there was and there was more to the, um, 
uh, more to the sentence after that where it, like, and then like, she's like, she was a survived, comma, she was a blank. And it just didn't, and huh. then there were things where it dropped words in the middle senses. I don't know. There were a lot of them throughout the book. Um, and and it, it really, it just kind of compounded. Like I was already frustrated, frustrated with the content of the book. And then the actual form of the book was also sloppy. And I was like, I, I mean, yeah, I struggled with this one. It, Damn. it was, it took me a long time just to like, open the book again I, I got about a third of the way through and then i was just not um incentivized to read further at all <laughs> i cannot <laughs> believe how perfectly opposite your experience was from mine because i read this book in two sessions just two single sessions in the first one where i put the book down was at the one third mark that was one yeah. third of the way through the book and i put it down just like you did but unlike you i came back and had so much fun i did the entire second two thirds of it in one single session, and I just, that was just my second session. I went through the, I just blasted through this book. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> but something I've started to notice about Butchers, so I was going to say Harry's, but yeah, this is Butchers. Like the illusions, is that, and this is allusions, not illusions. That he he's placing yeah. a lot of trust in the reader to get the hidden jokes, and a lot of them simply don't get explained. Assuming that you just assume that you've seen the movie Harry's referencing or you've heard the song that he's referencing, even in terms right, of just yeah. like colloquial knowledge. As I watched, one of them reached down between its crooked legs and, well, not to put too fine a point on it, but it gathered up the kind of ammunition primates and zoos traditionally rely upon. There's a certain level of trust there that Butcher has that he, that he demonstrates. He doesn't just have, but he demonstrates that like the reader is going to understand this. And so we're not going to dull that comedic edge by explaining it. The pop the, culture references, the exact opposite approach of what Ernest Klein took in ready player one. You mean? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Where the he exact... stops to explain everything <laughs> <laughs> like the pop culture references. They're, they're, they're packed everywhere in this thing. At, Cause you know, it's just, that's Butcher's style for, for these books here. And I never feel like I am potentially being slowed down or being held back so that others can keep up, like I would have felt in Ready Player One, for example. Even even in some limited cases in this book, where a certain line stands out, and to me, it just doesn't quite fit the scenario, I realize, I pull out in that moment, I realize, it's, this is probably a reference that I'm not picking up on. And it doesn't bother me. Because I know that there are many others who are going to get this reference, and the story is not going to slow down for them either. So... I just needed to draw that point that f faith in the reader Butcher has. And I think it's a 100% mark in his favor in this regard. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely fair. Um, there were certainly references that I didn't understand. And I just kind of read through them. Didn't, yeah. didn't bother me. Didn't bother me, um, yeah. That I didn't know. Um, Gotta say, I, I didn't like the final line, though. For once, a Dresden book ended with a line that made me go, Oh, okay. <laughs> like normally they have ex they have amazing final lines but this one was just like tell me you bought well, why did you buy the big breed puppy chow well, like, I don't know I after after the the, the quality of his five his closing lines previously this one kind of fell a little flat for me yeah yeah that's fair that's my last style point I'm ready to go into characters anything else style oriented um I think not really style but just a sort of a a 
thematic kind of point. Obviously, in his world building, he's constantly drawing from all sorts of mythologies and legends around the world. Uh, and I, I got a, a little crack out of um, Harry's mother's name, uh, Margaret Le Fay. Uh-huh. And I immediately thought of Morgan Le Fay, the Le- Arthurian. Okay. Yeah. This is such a coincidence, because I am a video gamer, as many people listening know, and um, one of the games that I play the most, it's probably like my third most played game of all time at this point, is the game, it's a, it's a MOBA called Smite. And Smite is constantly having new gods. That's the whole. Fo- that's the whole point of the game. The concept of the game is you 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 select different gods and you battle it out in a multiplayer battle arena. And the most recent god, like when I started playing, they had like eighty or ninety gods. They're now up to like 110, 115 gods. And the most recent one, the most recent update from just like a few weeks ago, they added a god called Morgan Le Fay, or at least a creature from legend called Morgan Le Fay. And I had never heard of Morgan Le Fay before. I, I, like, I was like, what is this? And of course, I've been playing the crap out of that game and shouldn't Morgan Le Fay's been kicking my ass because everybody chooses his new god. But when I read that line, I, I read that, okay, Le Fay, that's going to be like Harry's, you know, you know, not like his last name, but that would have been, you know, a part of his lineage, Le Fay. And then Margaret Le Fay, and I looked at him, it sounds like Morgan Le Fay. Is this really a thing? And so I looked it up and it was totally a thing. I just figured it was such a coincidence that this god would come out in this game that I play so much. And then the next, the literal next book that I'm reading would have a reference to that same god. It's just, it's so serendipitous, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. She's... Anyway, that was a whole tangent, five minutes that I didn't mean to get on. Sorry, continue. No, yeah, it, that was that was interesting. I'm, I was not aware of, um, I mean, I've heard of Smite, but I was not aware of like really what it was. I would not um, recommend that game to anybody playing, to listening. Yeah. I would not recommend it. It's too frustrating. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Morgan Le Fay in Arthurian Myth is like, a, a, depending on the... Um, the story, depending on the author, uh, she's a witch or like a fairy um, enchantress and and is uh, related to um, Uther, uh, Arthur's father. Ah. Um, Content. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, so I, I got a little bit of a crack out of that. And I was interested, or I thought it was interesting that that was the name of Harry's mother and not um, the name of like one of the fairy court queens or something like that. For all we know, uh, she could be. Hmm. Maybe she's got more history. <laughs> she's a she's a changeling. She's half. We're only in book six like out of that. what seventeen, eighteen so far. Oh yeah, a we're ton. a third of the way through. Maybe she's got some more secrets. Um, but but yeah, so that was that was kind of just my last point. Okay, I'm ready to head into character uh, characters. Listen to me, uh, Harry. Sure. Okay. You know, he didn't bother me as much in this one as he has previously. And I think we've already discussed a lot of the reasons why. Um, And all of the things I complained about previously, they're still present. But our cast of characters around Harry this time fit his his style of humor a little or maybe they deserved i should say they deserved his style of humor a little more i i i didn't have a problem with harry but i'm sure that you have plenty of valid reasons to have had so let's hear him i uh, i mean I, i've already gone over the sex yeah stuff. Uh, i <laughs> yeah. i appreciated that there was actually a little bit of dynamicism to his character in this book that like he actually changed a little um the, the revelation of thomas as his brother and his relationship with Ebenezer, where he's he's 
forced to kind of reconsider his inner circle in this book. Uh, I think that was honestly probably the strongest part of the the book for me was uh, how Harry's shifting relationships take center stage. Uh, His relationship with Murphy, Mm. where he's starting to realize that he's attracted to Murphy. Uh, His relationship with Ebenezer, where he discovers uh, that he maybe can't trust him the way he thought he could. And then his relationship with Thomas, where it's gone from like a sort of like this lovable scamp that, you know, kind of bothers me, but he's hanging around and he's entertaining. So I I'm okay with it. But now he's like, no, this is my brother. Um, I, I liked that there was some movement with Harry as a character in this one. Hmm. And uh, unlike in some of the earlier books, I think I disagree with, a lot of that just with with uh with thomas to me it felt a little not a little sudden it felt a little convenient that thomas would turn out to be his long lost brother but i also had to take that step back and think okay but you know he, like the the very nature of both of these characters is that they would inevitably find each other i can see that that butcher has has you know planted those seeds early enough that it's still even though it seems coincidental i can still see that okay it it, it was still organized in such a way that it can be, it, it can still, I still enjoyed it. I was like, okay, Harry's got extra family. I like that. But he just immediately kind of changed his whole attitude towards Thomas. Like he was kind of very dismissive and he really looked down on Thomas a lot previously. And Thomas was kind of a fop. I mean, it's hard to blame Harry for that. I just didn't buy it. It felt a little sudden and a little forced that suddenly Harry's whole his whole world shifted around suddenly discovering that he has this brother and that he loves his brother. I feel like we could have at least maybe gone one or two books with Harry, like being a little, uh, being a bit in denial about it and be like, so what? You're my brother. I've literally, I haven't met you until very, very recently. Like, what do I owe you? I would have preferred that would have felt a little more genuine than suddenly as soon as he figured out that Thomas was his brother, immediately ready to, to, to risk his life and immediately ready to throw himself on the line to open himself up to all this vulnerability. It felt a little manufactured to me. I just didn't buy it right away. See, I didn't have a problem with that at all because it was done through the soul gaze where he understands Thomas. You know what? I forgot. You level. know what? I forgot about the soul gaze. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. I you think know what? that's I'm, a really I'm, important moment. Yeah. Okay. That's actually a damn good point that I totally didn't even fuck, didn't even remember. Wow. Okay. Um, I will take a little bit of that back. <laughs> yeah, I want to think about yeah. that some more. I mean, I still, like I said, I loved this book. I didn't just like this book. I loved this book. So well, obviously, even you... if I had a problem with that, it wasn't going to ruin it for me. I know but... you got to be happy with uh, Harry and Karen, dude. Okay. Well, we're we're gonna get into Murphy. Uh, get, get into us. Get into Murphy or the next character phrasing. Um. Yeah. I'll I'll still hold off a little bit on that. Um. There was, a, there was a moment that Harry said something that pissed me off. I mean, surprise, surprise, Harry said something that pissed me off. But, <laughs> and it, it's, okay, so it's it's not actually about his overflowing magnanimity towards women, although it is still involved, it's the subject of this line. But we get to this point where we get our first chivalrous thought of the chapter, or of the book even, and Harry elaborates with, Call me a Neanderthal if you like, but I get really rational about bad things happening to women. And I just wanted to reach through the page and and slap him and just be like, do you think that Neanderthal species treated women well? Dumbass. 
Are you under the impression that in Neanderthal culture, women were cherished and protected? The more they were protected irrationally and to a fault? That's not how, he, how Neanderthal functions. Like, stop thinking with the hair on your nutsack and use your brain for 10 seconds if you're going to attempt to explain your overbearing attitude that you have towards protecting women. Neanderthal is the, is the opposite <laughs> excuse that you should have used there. I don't know. That was kind of like me just being a pretentious sciencey but I was like, come on, Neanderthal is not the example you want. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a recurring thing that, like, Harry gets semi-self-deprecating. And, like, I think that's, that's this um, sort of half-hearted attempt on Butcher's part to be like, oh, look at how self-aware I am writing this character. Does it have the flavor of signaling virtue to you, perhaps? Yeah, a little bit. A little, just a little bit, eh? Yeah, like I, it's hard to ignore. Anyway, yeah. Harry and you know, uh, signaling virtue at every chance that he gets, and right, um, thinking yeah. that every woman he needs, uh, he meets, needs to be protected from everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you do you want to move to uh, to Murphy? Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to Murphy. I uh, I was uh, like. I guess I enjoyed um, a little bit more of the the character building we got with her in this book, where you know we learn a little more about her family and her background, and um, like she she gets her own conflicts to deal with independent of Harry, which is I guess you know it's nice. It's it's a good expansion of the plot. Yeah, yeah. I I mean I don't know what I can really say about Murphy in this book that's not going to come off as as uh, just unable to 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 properly rationalize objectively because I just I I love this character so much I have this quote here Butcher had this this passage this two paragraph passage that almost left tears in my eyes when he was just describing the character of Karen Murphy and I have it written down here. But several years of staring out at the darkness had shown her that the law was both blind and deaf to some of the nastier parts of the world. She'd seen things that moved in the shadows, perverting the purpose of the law to use it as a weapon against the people she had sworn to defend. Her faith had taken a beating, or she wouldn't even have considered stepping outside the boundaries of her authority. And she knew it. That knowledge cost her dearly. There weren't any tears in her eyes, but I knew that they were there on the inside, while she mourned the death of her faith. That was such a gorgeous moment, and a gorgeous way to stop and describe Karen Murphy that way. And and it was, made, it was for me, it was made even better two seconds after that, when she takes this deep, meditative breath, and she says, Let's go. I'm ready. And then Harry stops with Murph. She tilted her head and looked at me. My lips suddenly felt very dry. You look good in the dress. And her eyes shone. Really? Oh, yeah. The eye contact got dangerously intense and I shied off. I was like, oh man, Harry, I love where this is going. I love where this is going. And I've, I've always been one to bitch and moan about things that fall flat because I'm expecting them. And on paper, Harry and Murphy becoming an item is perhaps the most predictable thing ever on this podcast. So I, I need to stop and think and ask myself why I am rooting for it so hard and why it's not bothering me in this case. And I think the answer is just that it's being teased so well. Little moments like these, only once or twice per book, that's all we need to keep the hope alive 
while Butcher just drags it out forever, and I like <laughs> it. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with, um, you know, that that explanation of their relationship, how... And you said, like, one or two scenes per book. I don't even think it's that many. I think it's, like, a scene every couple of books that right. really, um, you know, like, there's there's just so little of it um, that it, it really builds the tension, the romantic tension in it's it. It's little enough that the, 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 the scarcity itself builds that tension. I just, mm-hmm. it's so tastefully done. It's a Which one tasteful a, thing that Butcher yeah, does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else, well, tasteful is not the word I would describe. Fun? <laughs> explosive? Hell yes. Yeah. <laughs> tasteful? Not really, except for this one thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love uh, the fact that she's not only super badass, but Harry uses his sight, his wizard sight, once again, and we get to see Murphy through that filter again. Just this... This shining white, this beautiful avenging angel. It's like, ah, yeah. oh, I love it. I love it so much. And dude, I rev up the hog. I said, you ready for another fight? Her teeth flashed. She tossed me a red motorcycle helmet and said, get on the bike, bitch. I, I, I can't. I just, I love this woman. She's perfect. She's perfect. She's, I can't. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm done. Just, I'm done. She's perfect. Okay. Oh man. Um, All right. Who else? Kin- who else do you want to talk Kinsaid? about? Kincaid. Kincaid. Yeah. Kincaid. That's how you pronounce it. Kincaid. That's probably the proper pronunciation. Yeah. I I don't know why I like Kincaid. I don't know why I like him. I I like him too. I think he's, he's a an intriguing character. I want to, especially after what we find out from Ebenezer, I want to know more about what mm. his deal is. What exactly oh he is. As soon as they know. saw each other, dude, I, like in just that. That throwdown, well, that that near throwdown and that near miss, that was tense, dude. That was like, does he strike you at all like Denth? Does he sound like Denth at all? Ooh, I could see that because he's obviously he's he's super like he's super confident, he's suave, he's he's sw- he's got swagger, he's smart mouthed, but at the same time, he's got these juicy, these seriously juicy secrets in this history, and he's apparently really really old i mean ebenezer was yeah. was is, is an old old son of a bitch and kincaid was still youthful looking when <laughs> ebenezer was a child well not a child but a, a younger wizard so it's like mm-hmm. there's just so much mystery wrapped up here and he's this apparently according to harry's sight he's this tall demonic looking creature in the never never like if i'm understanding that correctly like I just there's so much more about this, and I have a prediction about Kincaid later. I, I honestly, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to predict. I'll just say it here. I assume he's going to be a villain for a future book. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think it's just like it's such an easy prediction that I almost felt bad writing that down to or, make or that prediction. Maybe not a villain, but an antagonist. I think the mercenary. That's thing a better is, way to put it. Is like you know somebody's going to hire him to go up against Harry. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this, this, like his chemistry with Harry. I mean, they don't like each other at all. It's not pleasant for either of them, but it's still the kind of chemistry that's pleasant for everyone else watching. Mm-hmm. I think, like, not bad. Her in a dress. I mean, this is Kincaid. Makes you notice she's a woman. He's talking about Murphy here. Shut up, Kincaid. I could hear the wolfish smile even if I couldn't see it. Yes, yeah, sir. Now don't look. I'm getting dressed and I blush easy. 
Blow me, Kincaid. Don't you owe me enough already? <laughs> These, it's like the Boondock Saints. I love their chemistry. It's just so wonderful. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So that's everything I wanted to say about him. Okay. You're next. What do you want to? you want to discuss? Um, let's uh, let's talk about uh the White Court. Let's talk about the Wraiths. Okay, the family Wraith. Yeah, I think um. All, all three of the siblings that we met, uh, I I thought were decent characters. I, obviously, I like Thomas a lot. I've liked him since we first met him in Grave Peril. Uh, but I thought Lara's a good um, femme fatale, you know, good antagonist. Uh, I'm not sure there's a ton that really separates her from the boatload of other femme fatales in the right. series. right. Uh, but but that's not to say that she's like a bad character. She's just not super original. Um, I don't know. There, it was yeah. it was interesting. I liked some of her rapport. Like when once we got past the theatrics of what this book is, some of her conversations with Harry were entertaining. Um, like. On a just on a character level, I thought they had a, a good dynamic between them. So, yeah, I did like the fact that uh, I mean, I was a little disappointed right away with the fact that she turned out to be apparently an antagonist. And I was like, oh come on! But then, like, we had this scene where she was about to kill Harry, and unfortunately, grudgingly, apparently, about to kill Thomas. But then the Black Court shows up, and it's like, oh, well, obviously things are changed, and Harry and 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 uh, oh my god. Lara have this moment where they're like, you know what? We're going to have to team up with this. Yep. I think the situation's changed. Okay. Temporary truce, temporary truce. And then they just, uh, according to uh, Harry there, then a lot of stuff went down, I think is the phrase. There was uh there's the whole badass scene with Harry. He has the, the well of power that he's filled for himself. I liked what Lara was as a character, but I'm still waiting for the who a little bit more. Okay. Um, I don't know. Do you have Thomas, anything about Thomas else? in particular? Anything surprise you? Are you do you like him a little more than you did uh, coming out of the last ones or less? I I think I still like him about the same. Uh, I've yeah. just always I've always liked him. He's a fun, entertaining character, good personality to I'm have. Very meh. Kind of uh, filling out the the background. Although obviously he's going to be much, or I assume he's going to be much more prominent going forward. Now, not so much a background character. I worry that he's going to be used against Harry. And that he's going to become the new Susan, the character that is used to, you know, turn uh, to to back Harry into a corner, you know, the character that he's weak for that he has to put himself at risk to save again and again. I I, sure. I, just, I worry that's this that's what we're going forward with. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that happening. But uh, as, as a person, the I mean, formula. as a person, I don't like him either. But I'm still not going to say I dislike this character. I mean. I'll give him a chance. He hasn't he hasn't turned me off entirely. Sure. Trixie yeah. Vixen, anything about this bitch you want to No. No. Extremely two-dimensional character. Yeah. I love the whole fact that though that this hair this whole Larry Barry Gary thing worked out in Dresden's favor. Yeah. That's not yeah. hilarious. Like I, what in the 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 manner in which uh, Butch revealed that too. Just Murphy explaining that, "Oh yeah, by the way, there's this all points bulletin out for whoever that dude is, this Larry Barry guy." <laughs> <laughs> ah, again, just I like that. This is gold, it's situational gold. But that's mm -hmm. the last character I had written down to discuss.
Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's... I've already covered... Yeah, I think that's about it for me, too. Um, ready to do some miscellaneous points. Okay, cool. I have two predictions to make, and I actually kind of already made one. I guess I'll expand on it. I'll, should I just start? Uh, Sure. Oh, wait. No, pardon me. I'm looking at these two, and both of them are different. Sorry, I'll, I'll get the shorter one out of the way first. Um, in book five, we heard Nicodemus and his minions planning to release or summon one of those two, um, some figure of myth called the Temptress. Blink, blink. Um, so we met Lana Wraith, uh, or Laura Wraith, not Lana Wraith, pardon me. I was like, okay, here she is. And then she's, the, apparently, Lara Wraith is just a vampire of the White Court. I mean, I don't want to say just a vampire. Obviously, she has all the traits that I would have expected the Temptress to have. But she, as far as I know, she isn't the Temptress. So, with a reaction like that to Lara Wraith, what te what reaction is Harry going to have when he finally meets the Temptress? What is that going to be like, and how uncomfortable is that going to be to read? Is she still waiting in the wings as a character, this figure? I don't, I just... I don't know. I'm um, confused. Uh, that's the temptress is the uh, the fallen okay. whose coin Harry has. Oh, okay. I don't remember it actually having a name yeah. before this. I must yeah. have totally uh, missed that point. Lassiel is the temptress. Yeah, I believe I believe she's outright named in the last book. Let me. Lassiel is a she. The, oh, I mean, it had to be like okay, all right. I just didn't uh, make that connection beforehand. If I'm in, indeed making that error right yes. now, I will just apologize to everybody listening. Uh, probably pulling chapter their hair twenty-seven. Um, he's talking with Father Forthill, and Father Forthill says Lassiel. He says the seducer. Lassiel is also called the web weaver and the oh, temptress. Oh my god! Though it seems odd that Nicodemus would want to free her. Everybody Typically, listening she to this does must not have been follow Anduriel's lead. Pulling their hair and their beards out. When I was talking for this past two minutes, okay, I apologize, everybody. I that's just a, I totally missed that that little detail in those that have been the last book. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Death mass. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Thank you for hey. You just answered a question for me. Perfect. <laughs> uh, I'll let you uh, throw one forth or any predictions, or you just want to talk about miscellaneous. I have another prediction, but I'll wait until your next. Uh, one. I didn't really have any predictions, but I do have a few miscellaneous points. Yeah. Um, uh, once again, just the. The inconsistency with the uh, the technology the working or not working, yeah. uh, and and it actually like physically made me roll my eyes at one point where um, early in the book, Harry you know discovers he's got this extra dog that he wasn't able to return, and he tries to call Brother Wang, and he calls it twice and says the number's disconnected, and Harry goes. The phones are occasionally wacky when it's me using them, so I tried again. I'm like, literally never in the series has a phone failed on him when he tries to make a call. <laughs> Not in the series, but apparently like, we're only there for the ones that, it does, that they don't screw up on. Yeah, for. it's like, it, it, it's just one of those things that I don't buy. Like, he's talking about how he, he and Ebenezer have to drive these old cars, and then he has no problem getting on Murphy's new motorcycle, and it, and it works fine. Like... Which, uh, yeah, would have undoubtedly been built after World War II. Or yeah, was designed like, after World War II. Um, and then the other one that I I just laughed at, like, I, I had to laugh. Um, again, early on in the book, he's when he's once again describing his apartment. And he goes into a little more depth this time. And he notes that he sleeps in a twin bed. Harry's supposed to be, like, 6'5". Like, like, I'm 6'4". <laughs> a okay. twin bed wrecks me. 
Like, there's no way this dude is, like, living and sleeping comfortably in a twin bed if he's that tall. Man, like, people's <laughs> sleeping habits are weird, though. Like, I need to sleep with a pillow under... On, I need to sleep on my stomach with a pillow under my stomach. I just need to do that. Yeah. Sleep, sleeping habits are, are just all over the place. Like, maybe he likes his feet dangling off the edge and half of his shins, too. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then I had, I had another point. Uh, when he's first kind of meeting everybody, uh, he's in the studio and he starts listening you know like right um capital l listening and he notes that inari meanwhile had moved a little beyond the range of my focused sense of hearing i'm like okay you're in the same room as her in the previous book you listened through the through the walls of a boat docked hundreds of feet away and she's now beyond the range of your listening in the room like come on dude mm. like it, yeah. I, I agree. And, and I I immediately thought, because that was when she gets on the phone with somebody. And I was like, well, this is going to be some, like, plot point where, you know, she, he can't hear something yeah. important that she's is saying. Is this because Butcher needs her needs Harry to yeah. not be able to hear this? Yeah. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, just like, those inconsistencies are, are really something that, that bugs me. But And that goes back to what I was saying in the style, where, like, there's just... This book is just a little sloppier than um, than some of the previous ones, especially the last couple before this, uh, uh, Summer Night and Death Masks. So, damn, damn, well spotted, Sherlock. Holy, <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> damn. Okay, I'm gonna get on with my 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 next prediction here. Go for it. I hadn't ever felt that before. A sudden surge of fury, contempt, and disdain mixed in with physical excitement only a few degrees short of actual arousal. It wasn't an emotion. It was nothing that tame and limited. It was a force, a dark and cast tide. I think I must have wrote down the wrong word there. Autocrack screwed me on that one. That picked me up and swept me along like a styrofoam-packing peanut. And I liked it. So that was in chapter 26, as Harry's confronting... Trixie at gunpoint. He's held at gunpoint, and he's trying, and he fails here to save Emma from the curse, the entropy curse. And I think this particular feeling, this feeling of fury, contempt, and disdain mixed in with physical excitement only a few degrees short of arousal, I think this is some sort of influence that he gets from the coin, from Nicodemus's... Oh, 100%. Yeah, the demon yeah. bitch there, yeah. There's there, there's something deeper and more insidious going on with Harry and, and that link to the fallen. Like, like this is going to turn out to be a hint at that. I think it's kind of clear. I don't, I don't want to be like 100% on this, but I'm like 98.4% on this. Like, I just... Yeah. I just... <laughs> I mean, it surprises me like I have to sit here and picture a scenario where you saw that Drew you saw that and you went oh yeah this is probably going to happen in the future but I'm not going to make that prediction I'll just like let Rob do it I guess <laughs> like we can I, agree on I that just, though right yeah I definitely agree on that Um, it was just something like not noteworthy enough for me to like remember to bring up but I remember really? reading that scene and, and, and then when we got to the end of the book and we find out that he's got this mark on his hand which, by the way, uh, oh, yeah. big time um, uh, illusion, perhaps um, in a small way. No, um, it reminds me of Divine Cities. Oh, the the mark on the burned hand. Oh my God, yeah. the scales. Yeah, 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 the yeah. Mark yeah. of Kolkhan. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, but yeah, once once we got that, I was like, oh yeah, like that's totally what's been going on. Like he's already connected to like the the lust fallen angel. 
and hey, and maybe he's like having an... all of these like lustful feelings throughout the book. Yeah, then maybe there's gonna be an inward reason now for Harry to be such a horn dog. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, we knew Justine was okay. Yeah, I already asked that at the beginning. Um, what else here? Oh, I just have like like uh, like like one liners here that I just want to just. Mm, I love them so much. When Harry takes uh-huh. Murphy to meet Kincaid for the first time, and he tells her, well, she asks, where, where, where are we going? And he gets, we're going to IHOP. And Murphy just sighs. She's like, my hips hate you, Dresden. And I was totally expecting Harry to be like, well, that's a shame because I like them quite a bit. I, mean, I was like, come on, Harry. It's not that hard, man. But I just, I'm a little frustrated with Harry's total lack of, I don't know attempts at anything and but whatever um kincaid has this moment where he goes okay they're about to to i think they're about to storm the um the shelter and he goes anyone have any questions and harry's like why do they sell hot dogs in packages of 10 but hot dog buns in packages of eight i hate that joke i hate it but i at least i still laughed i still laughed even though i hate that joke because i'll be damned if it didn't make me think why do they do that See where where I'm from. They both come in packages of eight. So, <gasps> seriously, yeah. You live in this magical land where hot dog buns and hot dog the hot dogs themselves come in the same amounts. Yep. Oh my god, that's just one more reason for me to have to visit Colorado. <laughs> it sounds yeah. like everywhere else they don't. I mean, even in Chicago, uh, apparently in Chicago they don't. Yeah. But um. Let's see uh, here. Oh, my last point. <laughs> this is kind of this is another stupid sciencey thing. Apparently, Ebenezer is responsible now for Krakatoa and Tunguska, both. Uh huh. Do you know how how much that just doesn't jive with the the power levels that we've been seeing out of these wizards, respectively? Here, like, oh, my screen just turned off. It's been too long since I touched the mouse. Do you, <laughs> I just if Ebenezer. I don't know how much, like, if Ebenezer is capable of causing this kind of mayhem, this guy should be ruling the world. Even if he doesn't want to, he should be accidentally ruling the world. I mean, we're talking about orders of magnitude of power so far above what even the nuclear bomb we apparently saw go off disguised as a Russian satellite in the end of the last book. I'm like, Ebenezer is terrifying to me. He's <laughs> terrifying we're talking about billions of times the, the the energy needed for nuclear bombs here in krakatoa and tunguska and ebenezer's apparently responsible for those i'm terrified that's all i wanted to yeah. say yeah okay so all right um i'm done yeah. all my points i'm near done being obnoxious i've had a strong beer that i went through pretty quickly here any other miscellaneous things that you want to get oh we have favorite scenes left yeah, we do have favorite scenes. I totally forgot about that. Oh my god, here I've been rambling like a... Okay, alright. Yeah, we can do favorite scenes. Cool, alright. I'll start us off, number three. Go for it. Harry and Murphy's heart-to-heart for the first time in this book, not their first one overall, when she tells him that she has this family event on Saturday and her baby sister's getting married. And she tells Harry for the first time about her difficulties with her mother and her insecurities about divorce and trying to, val- to balance being present with family and still feeling like a disappointment. And it's just, I, again, the, I love these scenes where we get to see the vulnerable, the fragile Murphy, because 
it, it completes her as a character. It gives her that extra, that final dimension that makes her feel like a real person. And so because I'm such a fan of this whole Harry and Murphy burgeoning relationship that's going on and the hints and the teasing that we're getting for it, scenes like this are just, without a doubt, have to feature in my final, in my favorite scenes. So this is number three. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my third favorite was Harry's conversation with Ebenezer, uh, learning the truth of of the Black Staff and uh, Harry's mom. And I, I, I just, like I said earlier, I really liked the the way it changed Harry as a character. That's the kind of development I've been waiting, uh, you know, for a while in this series. Hmm. Yeah. That was interesting. As soon as he was called Blackstaff, I had to stop and think. I looked at that word and I thought, have I heard that name before? Or is this is, is this brand new? Or am I going to be hearing from Drew or, or, or someone else later and saying, no, that was brought up before, Rob. But this was, yeah, this was a whole side of Ebenezer that I wasn't ready for. And obviously, Harry wasn't ready for. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of surreal, wasn't it? Yeah. So what was your second favorite? Harry... In the tunnel, holding back the fire. That okay. that mental image I have of that scene with with Murphy and the children, and and even Kincaid just like shying back in in burning pain and in fear as the flames just pound against that invisible barrier, and all we can see is that silhouette of Harry Dresden, visible like this vague human form, like screaming as he stands his ground while his hand burns. Just wow, man! That is such a badass moment. And then yeah, for sure. What that gives us as as follow-ups, Harry being told he's going to lose the hand, and we have that one-liner. I was well sending it back to the kitchen anyway. I ordered it medium well, you know, like just. And <laughs> it gave us what I think is perhaps the single most badass line we've had in all six books yet. It was with Kincaid telling Harry, you know, it was it was something about it was really something to see a wizard actually cut loose. And Harry's just staring him down before leaving the room, and he just says, you still haven't. Just yeah. Mic drop in that moment. I got, like, that one got the goosebumps going. That was an incredible, <laughs> an incredible line. That was hands down my favorite, my favorite one-liner in the series yet. So good. Okay. So. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, my second favorite was uh, Lara and Harry having breakfast. Oh, uh, that's seen at the end of the book. I, okay. like I said earlier, I really appreciate the way they interact with each other when they're like getting down to business rather than dealing with, you know, all the like sex allure succubus stuff. Um, but yeah. that when, when they get a chance to interact with each other character to character, I think we get really good conversations uh, and, and he does a good job of, you know, setting up future conflicts. So I liked that scene. Yeah. That was perhaps what I thought like the most human it's weird to say. Yeah, it's actually not that weird to say. That most human side of Lara that we've seen. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, okay. My favorite one. And this will probably come as a surprise to no one who knows how much of a of a Murphy fan that I am, but Harry and Mrs. Murphy at the Murphy Barbecue. Uh, chapter twenty eight, actually it was. The Divine Hamburgers. And, and Harry finally getting to meet Murphy's extended family. You know, the scene in particular that's my favorite in the entire book is the private conversation that Harry, or I should say Harry, <clears throat> Murphy's mother has with Harry at the end of the chapter when she asks him, will you take care of my daughter? He's just like, of course. 
And she goes, well, then let me get you another piece of cake. You know, I just, ah, God, it, it, it made me feel so warm and mushy and happy that I just, it's such, it's such a pure good feeling that I was like, this has to be number one. So it wasn't as badass or as spectacular as number two, but it was still it had to be my favorite just because of its wholesome nature. So that's my favorite. Nice. Uh, my favorite was the soul gaze with Thomas. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, it, it's kind of funny. I think my favorite scene in two books now has been a soul gaze. Um, it was he's, with Denton good at in, in a uh, full moon. Um, I, I think this is when he gets to be a little more lyrical in his prose. Uh, we get really fanciful descriptions in there, but I also I liked what this did for um, Thomas's character. How we get to see the way he views his own internal struggle, how he handles being a vampire. Um, I thought that was that was really really great. Yeah. That's a damn good choice. All right. All right. Shall we go into the final draft, my man? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I'll start us off again. Um, for once and finally and again, I decided to not only bring a beer onto the podcast, but I tried to find a thematically appropriate beer. And I need to apologize for this one in advance because this is a terrible joke. And I do not approve of myself using this as the joke. But I spent, I was at the grocery store today and I probably spent about. 60, 70 minutes in there, probably about an hour, hour and 10 minutes. And I swear 30 minutes was choosing this beer because, and I thought going into it, I was like, oh, it's going to be really easy. We have vampires, we have magic, we have humor. This is, this, this should be generally easy to find a thematically appropriate beer for. It was not. I spent half an hour going down probably 10 to 12 uh, shelves again and again and again before I finally found one. And this, this didn't really match the, any of those themes that I had wanted to. But, you know, I, I, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work for today, as long as I apologize for this joke in, in, advanced, in, in advance. So, <laughs> this here is a plump and unfiltered, as it describes itself, a plump and unfiltered IPA from Flying Monkeys Craft Brewery, which I have featured before. I uh, want to say the most recent was on our Gemini episode. I think that would have been The Mutants Are Revolting. Um but this here, it, it, again, it describes itself as, I had it right here, a golden ambrosia of beautiful hops and notes of pine, tangerine, and passion fruit. I didn't really get any of the, uh, the, the pine. I got so much of that grapefruit, but you expect that with an IPA. Every time I've had an IPA, I go, whoa, my God, with the grapefruit. It's just so overpowering. This one felt like somebody had actually opened one in my mouth. It was, it was just... I mean, it was delicious. It was a little stronger than I was prepared for, 6.5%. And I drank this one probably over the course of 15 minutes, which for me is very, very fast for a beer. I'm going to have a headache later. But this here goes out to pretty much all of our female characters in this series from Leah the Werewolf. I think her name is Leah in, in Full Moon. This goes out to... All of them, to Summer and Winter Queens and their daughters, to the porn stars that are in this one, all the way to poor Karen Murphy, who's crawling under infrared laser traps. This one here is called Juicy Ass. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. I know. I know. I saw it, and I was... I sighed, and I probably walked by it six times before I went, there's nothing else. I have to oh, do wow. it. 
So wow, yeah, yeah. I went there, and now Drew save me before I get crucified by everyone. Listening. <laughs> well, I am drinking a uh, an imperial pastry stout from Shades Brewing in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Eight um, percent. It doesn't list the uh, the ingredients, the the pastry ingredients, but. I am fairly certain that we've got like coffee and coconut in this. Uh, it's it's pretty good. It's for a pastry stout, honestly, really drinkable. It's it's not as like thick bodied as some of the really ridiculous beers are. Um, and at at eight percent, you know, that's on the lower end for an imperial stout. So it's it's pretty enjoyable. Uh, but of course, the name is is really what does it. And this is called Incubus. <laughs> okay all right very nice very mm-hmm. very nice I yeah i got this beer that. a while ago and i was like i know at some point i'm gonna have a book to bring this on you know so Snipe. once once they started describing uh the white court vampires as incubi and succubi i was like well there you go that's uh that's my that's my beer right there so, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. I just want to say I love this book. It's my favorite Dresden book. I know I've said that already. I need to reiterate that. This is this has been my favorite. I just, well, it was wonderful. I give this one a 9 out of 10. Ooh. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, I gave this like a like a two-star rating on Goodreads. Oh, you're going out of five? So, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I yeah. made a 4.5 on this um, one. I love yeah, it. Yeah, this, this was probably my least favorite we really disconnected so on this one i like yeah, it that's why did. we do this we, we <laughs> it gives us more to talk even though this is a one of the shortest episodes we've done i think this is the shortest episode we've done on the dresden files uh it might be yeah but it was yeah. exciting to talk about stuff that we disagree with <laughs> you're <Or> right <laughs> yeah okay so yeah this has been uh i believe this will be episode 134 of the I thought it was, it's five on the spreadsheet because we have the uh, yeah, but episode. Lies of Lock Lamora, yeah, that that will be um, coming out next week. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, that'll that'll be episode one thirty five. So definitely keep your eyes peeled for that. Well, at the beginning of the episode, I said one thirty five. So make sure you oh you did center oh, okay. that. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, as always, if you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com dot com out loud or on coffee ko fi dot com slash out loud. I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. I'm sorry for that final draft, everybody. (laughs) Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.